The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. At the Last Supper, when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. For 20 years now, the person who has prepared our taxes is a woman in Sioux Falls by the name of Connie. Connie specializes in clergy taxes, and she has clients uh, all over the United States and even around the world. She really knows clergy taxes, and many of us are very thankful for that because we don't understand them at all. Well, it was the Sunday before the last week before the taxes are due, and it was late in the afternoon, and uh, I had a call on my cell phone. I looked, and it was Connie Buskell Associates at the tax office. I thought, oh, no, something's wrong with my taxes. She uh, set my mind at ease right away and said, it's not about your taxes. They're fine. But she said, I have really sad news. And then she proceeded to tell about two losses from their office. In December of last year, Lila, who has worked in that office for many, many years, was killed in a car accident. She and two of her friends and the husband of one of the friends were returning from Yankton, where I used to serve, to their town of Parker, small town. Uh, They had been at a Christmas fair, and they were hit head-on. And all three women died. And that town was crushed. They were all from the same church, Little Lutheran Church, and that small town. And, of course, from that office as well. And her husband, Lila's husband, Don, had been in a nursing home for the last few months. And they don't know if he really completely understood what had happened to her. Uh, She visited him regularly, but the poignancy of it has to do with his loss and perhaps not knowing Well, then, just three weeks ago, Don, her husband, died. Don had been a part of that office as well. He was a farmer. He was a flying farmer, actually. He had flown all of his life from the time he was a very young teen. He and I had been in college together. And, in fact, uh, he never went into the military, but he taught some of us to fly, and he was one of my instructor pilots. Well, I had very infrequent contact with Lila and Don. It was all around tax time, and every time I saw them, we would reconnect about college days and what was happening with the farm and about Don's flying. But when I heard about their deaths, I realized that I was connected with that community of tax preparers in a way that I never had imagined. 
I was really touched by it. I wasn't just touched by it. I was saddened by it. I was really hurt at the loss of Lila and Don. And the loss for that office. They were in pain. And here they were in the midst of tax season. And they had to press on. Well, as I thought about that, it reminded me that we are a part of so many different communities. I never dreamed that I had the kind of connection that I really had with that community of tax preparers. And if you think about it, you're connected with many, many communities where you live, uh, perhaps in an apartment complex, in a neighborhood, where you go to school, where you work. There are just many communities that we're connected to. And the truth is that we are more whole when we are a part of something that's greater than us. There's something about human nature that, that requires that we be connected to other human beings. And what this reminded me of was that I was connected with that kind of obscure little community. And not only that, I loved them. And they loved me enough to call me and tell me of their loss. Well, I think today's gospel speaks to that. It talks about community in a very special way. But more than that, it talks about the command we have to love one another. Now, the thing that might have uh, jarred you a bit is that the lectionary prepares have thrown us back into Holy Week. <laughs> we are at the Last Supper. This is Maundy Thursday. We're getting the command to love one another. And it says that Judas had just gone out into the night. So all of this happens after Judas had left. Now, Judas had had his feet washed by Jesus. He had shared a communal meal with Jesus and all of the disciples. And he turns his back on them, not just on Jesus, but on his community of disciples as well. He turns his back on the love that they had shared. He turns his back on all that they had done together. And he goes out into the night. Now, in John's Gospel, you recall that light is a metaphor for the presence of God. And darkness is a metaphor for the absence of God. And Judas goes out into the darkness. I think it's, uh, it's very telling that Jesus gives the command to love one another after Judas has left. And perhaps it was to reassure the disciples that you folks get it, but I want to be sure you really get it. This is my new commandment for you, that you love one another. And if you do, they will know that you are my disciples. Well, as we think about this new commandment that Jesus gave, I think it's helpful for us to think back about what the early church was like. Sometimes it's important to go back to our roots. I had been taught and I had read for many years that the early church really started as a house church or as a number of house churches. And those house churches were, uh, they were the work of the patron of that house who supported the house church. Some of them were women, prominent women. And some of them were probably also leaders of their house church. The house churches were hierarchical. They were also, they were diverse in terms of class. There were many different classes. But they were not diverse racially or ethnically. So I had thought this is what 
the early church was. And then I took a course from a man by the name of uh, Robert Jewett. He is a professor of New Testament at Garrett Seminary, a Methodist. And Robert Jewett introduced us to something called the Tenement Church. He had been working with an archaeologist at Northwestern University, and they had determined that the earliest uh, presence of Christian community in Rome was in two neighborhoods. And both of those neighborhoods were uh, populated by the poorest of the poor. It was immigrants, slaves, and freed slaves. These were people who had come from all over the Roman Empire. And they had come together in these tenements that were so densely populated, they estimated that it would be three times the density of Manhattan. Family groups were in cubicles, they, they figured, that were about 10 square yards. So people were really crushed in together. The tenement buildings were four or five stories tall, and most of them were made of wood. And there would be a business on the first level and perhaps some storage. And then finally, these poor people on the top level. They had no running water. They had no bathroom facilities. They also had uh, no central heating. So this was, this was a difficult place for people to live. And these poor people had come together in community. It's interesting to me that the church started as a diverse community. I think many of us along the way have thought that this idea of diversity in the church came from one or two of our presiding bishops. <laughs> but it didn't. It was there all the time. And the thing that was so different about the tenement community, as opposed to the, to the community of the, uh, of the house church, was that they were just the opposite. The house church was hierarchical. The tenement community was egalitarian. And Jewett, who I got to know fairly well, uh, I know he was a fairly conservative person. And I've heard people refer to Paul's writings about the early church having everything in common and talking about it as early form of communism. Jewett could never say that. <laughs> he called it love communalism. And I think that's entirely different. What he was trying to point out, I think, was that the way these people lived together, out of their poverty, they found richness as they shared their lives together. Well, I think it's a, a wonderful image of the early church, instructive to us, I think, about what we should be. Well, Jewett has gone on to describe uh, their early worship, and he says that their earliest worship really were love feasts. Uh, these people would come together probably uh, late on Sunday afternoon after they had done their work, maybe even into the evening, because after all, Sunday was a work day and all of these people were working for somebody else. So they would gather together as family units. They would bring whatever they had to share as a meal. And then over time, all of this became much more symbolic. And finally, we come to what we have today in the celebration of the Eucharist but still a communal meal, still the community coming together around Christ represented here. Well, I think it's helpful for us to see that. And, and I think also it's important for us to hear this last thing that Jewett says about that community. He says that they found the love of Christ present in the faces of those with whom they shared that common meal. 
And he said, as they ate that meal together, there was a sense that a new age had dawned and that Christ was present in the feast. Indeed, a new age has dawned. The resurrected Christ is present in the church today. Present with us in our midst as we gather as a faith community. Christ is present as the gospel is read and proclaimed in preaching. Christ is present in the sacrament of the Eucharist. And they experience the presence of Christ like we do. Because remember the command, rather the, the promise that Jesus gave. When he said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I shall be there also. And we experience that today in this community of faith as well. Well, I think it's important for us to be reminded of the importance of the love command. So often, I think when we talk about love, people tend to think of it in kind of a squishy way, not very solid, not very important in some way, too soft. Love can be tough. We know that. And we know that we can be in communities where we can be loving, but we can also say what needs to be said and speak truth with confidence and knowing that it's going to be difficult to talk about some of those things. But always, always, in whatever community we are in, we are called by Christ to love one another. And I think it's important also for us to remember this. Many of us have experienced that love in this congregation. But it's important for us to know that there are others who come among us who may not have experienced that love or acceptance. So I think we need to pause now and then and ask ourselves, what might we do differently to help others feel that kind of love that we feel and the acceptance that we feel here? And finally, I believe we're all called to go from this place to remember that this isn't the only community that we're a part of and to take that love of Christ with us into every community of which we are a part so that the love of Christ may just grow and grow and grow in this world that is in such need. Amen.